TG Journey here, welcoming you to Shortgrass Country News, where the past never ends. Today's story is brought to you by the Coyote Cafe, down there at the east end of Maine. Today's blue plate special is chicken fried steak and mashed taters, covered in cream gravy. Your choice of fried okra or yellow squash. Top it all off with a piece of hot apple pie with a scoop of vanilla ice cream on top. Mmm, 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 good. <coughs> the horse says it's time for today's story that I've named Craterville Park, Smokey and Me. The year was 1963. I was nine years old and play days had really taken off in southwest Oklahoma. Play days were rodeos of sorts for kids and those who were kids at heart. I'd anticipate the coming of spring with great excitement after spending so much time indoors during the winter months. I knew spring brought with it trips to play days at all the neighboring towns, along with a couple of trips down to Craterville Park. Craterville Park was a creation of Frank S. Rush back in 1923. Old Barnum and Bailey had nothing on him. He knew how to put on a show. He built his kingdom north of Cache, Oklahoma. Craterville was named for a meteor crater in the Wichita Mountains. Interestingly, Frank S. Rush was commissioned by President Teddy Roosevelt as the nation's second forest ranger. He was tasked to oversee the reestablishment of buffalo in Texas Longhorns at the Wichita Mountains Wildlife Refuge to save them from extinction. In 1957, Fort Sill Army Base expanded, taking the land that Craterville occupied. So E. Frank Rush, Frank's son, moved Craterville Park to Quartz Mountain State Park. Quartz Mountain State Park was south-southwest of Lone Wolf, just off of Highway 44. The trip there took us by Lugert Lake, then over one of those Quartz Mountains. A path for the Santa Fe tracks had been blasted through that granite mountain. I could look down into that canyon and see that narrow two-rail passage as we passed over the mountain. As the Santa Fe came out of that granite passage, it skirted around Lugert Lake. If the water was low, you could see the old foundations of Lugert sticking up out of the sand. They looked like tombstones standing there as a reminder not to forget the community of Lugert. But Lugert is another story for another day. Once at the bottom of that mountain, it was a right turn into Quartz Mountain State Park. Craterville was about a mile or so on down the road. Now, Craterville Park was an amusement park of sorts with several extra features. It had your traditional fair, a Ferris wheel with lights all over it, bumper cars, a house of mirrors. There was a ride through a spook house, a snake pit, and a monkey cage that smelled, well, like a monkey cage. Craterville had all the sights and sounds and smells that go along with an amusement park. Hot dogs and hamburgers, cotton candy and the like. There was a rodeo arena with a big stage just outside the main entrance to the arena. Craterville played host to PRCA rodeos that would bring in some of the top cowboys 
along with many of the upstarts. The stage was for entertainers and celebrities of the day that Frank could bring in to help draw a crowd. It was usually actors from the TV westerns, Robert Horton from Wagon Train, Duncan Rinaldo was a Cisco kid, Ken Curtis, yeah, old Festus from Gunsmoke. That's a few of them I remember seeing down there. Sometimes he'd have a country and western singer who was on the climb up or maybe on the way down. There was a smaller arena between the stage and the rodeo arena. It didn't have a grandstand or seating of any kind. I suspect that it was probably there for the barrel racers and the ropers to warm their horses up in before going into the main arena during a PRCA show. Now, on occasion, Frank would host a Saturday afternoon ride competition for the non-professionals. That gave them the opportunity to show off their horses and their horsemanship skills. The events would usually be on Saturday afternoon, just before the PRCA rodeo that night. Well, Daddy decided that me and old Smokey were working pretty good together, so we needed to load up, head down there, and show what we could do. Now, Smokey didn't look any different than any other Dapple Shetland. He wasn't one of those horses you'd look at and say, Now that's a darn fine-looking piece of horse flesh. He looks like he could run a hole in the wind. I'd be proud to own that horse. No, there wasn't anything like that. Although he meant the world to me, he was just an average, everyday, run-of-the-mill Shetland. But I loved him just the same and liked to show him off. I don't know if Daddy hadn't read what the events would be or if he just assumed it'd be a play day. Either way, the events of the day weren't like nothing me and old Smokey had ever seen. This wasn't pole bending and barrel racing or breakaway roping and such. This was big boy events like the American Quarter Horse Association sponsored across the country. The events of the day were horsemanship, western pleasure, reining, and trail. Horsemanship was to be evaluated throughout the competition. Now, horsemanship is one's ability to ride in a balanced, correct, and functional manner. That's how the Quarter Horse Association rule book says it. Simply put, are you one with the horse, or are you an interference to the horse? During Western Pleasure, the rider takes his horse through three gates as he moves from the starting line to the far end of the arena. Orange cones are placed at each point in the arena where you're to change gates. First, you walk the horse. Then you move into a trot and finally into a lope. Once you're at the last cone, you circle around it and you do it all over again on the way back. The change in gates needs to be smooth and well-controlled. Doesn't sound all that hard now, does it? Raining came next. Raining is just a matter of showing control over your horse in a smooth, uncontested fashion. Again, Quarter Horse Association talk. All work is to be done in a slow or fast lope. Rider's choice. Reining competitions designed to show the athletic ability of a ranch horse. You're to guide your horse through a precise pattern of circles and spins and stops. 
then go down a path outlined in white chalk on the arena floor. The path is about four feet wide with a large semicircular area at the end called a keyhole. You ride straight up that path, spin tightly in that keyhole, and return down that path without stepping out of bounds. No problem there. Finally, we'd finish up with trail. Now, trail riding is supposed to imitate obstacles that one might encounter. You guessed it. On the trail or in everyday life. You and your horse are judged on the horse's ability to perform these challenges in a calm and willing way. Quarter Horse Association talk once again. The obstacles scattered around the arena included such things as a series of poles about eight inches in diameter and about six foot long. We were to cross those poles, even though going around them would be a heck of a lot easier, I thought. There was a series of orange cones that we were to weave through, showing a smooth change of lead back and forth. Next was a mailbox that had to be opened from horseback, then retrieve the mail without a hitch. The last task was a gate that had to be opened, gone through, and then closed and latched from horseback. Each of these events came with their own difficulty, but for a nine-year-old boy on a Shetland pony, well, who knows what might happen. To maintain an ornery Shetland through all of that was going to be a heck of a challenge, especially when we hadn't practiced those events. I looked around, saw a couple of fellas I was familiar with, but not exactly friendly with. Both were from Harmon County down there in far southwest Oklahoma. They rode POAs, which stands for Pony of America. They're a mid-sized version of an Appaloosa. Russ Lightfoot had a beautiful black POA with a white blanket with black spots on its rump. He called him Domino. Old Russ put a lot of thought into that one. Evan Jacks had a red roan with spots all over him that he called Chief. POAs are a bit larger and a more athletic type horse than a Shetland. Shetlands are really a smaller version of the cold-blooded horses used for work, such as plowing and pulling wagons and the like. The Shetland can carry their own weight and pull twice as much. Of course, Russ and Evan had beaten me many times at the play days. They always finished in the top three. Me, on the other hand, well, I was lucky to ever win a ribbon. Russ and Evan both performed before me, and each had problems with the mailbox and the gate. One thing about apps and POAs, they're hard-headed like a Shetland, plus they're a bit high-strung to boot. Domino was especially so since he was still a stud. Finally, it was my turn. I was excited and scared equally. Before going into the arena, I leaned forward and whispered words of encouragement to Smokey. I begged him to behave just for a little bit so we could show our best. The first event was Western Pleasure. I was told by the judges to ride to the other end of the arena and at each cone change gates, then circle around the last cone and return to the starting line, changing gates once again at each cone. Everything went fairly smooth. Some horses have good trots, but most don't. They're usually rough to stay in time with and rough enough to rattle your teeth plumb out of your head. 
That day's smoky change from one gate to the next without incident. Made a nice neck rain turn around the last cone and repeated the process just as well as the first. So far, so good, I thought. We done went and knocked us a home run. Next was raining. First, we weaved at a slow gallop through a series of cones, turned at the last one, and returned through them in the same manner. Next, we started a tight circle in a walk around the cone. We went around about three or four times, then shifted into a trot, letting that circle grow a little larger. After we had made three or four more circles, we shifted into a gallop, letting that circle grow even larger. Once we had made it around that cone three or four times, I brought Smokey to a dead stop, did a nice hind quarter spin, then reversed the pattern until we were back walking a tight circle around that cone. After that, the judges had me gallop Smokey down one side of the arena and come to a sliding stop do a spin, then gallop back down the fence line and come to a sliding stop once again. Well, we accomplished our task without too many hiccups. Smoky neck drained nice and changed leads good as we weaved through those cones, and he had a nice hind quarter turn at the far end. We didn't do so well with the sliding stops, though. Oh, well, can't get everything perfect. Then it was time to do the keyhole. We had never done it before, but one good thing about it, Smokey was small in comparison to those other horses. I figured it'd be easier for him to stay inside the lines. We went down the path good enough, but then had a bit of a hard time with the turn at the keyhole. Smokey just didn't spin as nice as I'd have liked. It was more than likely my fault. I didn't neck rein him right or else I pulled him up short and confused him. Either way, it wasn't the best, but it was going to have to do. At least we didn't step on the chalk. Two events down and one to go. It was time for trail. Of the events, this was the one that I was most fretting over. Getting Smokey up close to something, then getting him to stand there while I did some maneuver or another sounded like a big order for old Smokey and me. And crossing those poles? Well, I certainly didn't know about that. I'd tried to take him over a narrow spot in Crooked Creek once like I saw him do in the movies. Really, it was no more than just a trickle of water. He jumped that little trickle of water like he was jumping the Red River. They had a series of four poles laid out about a horse's length between each set. That meant a horse had to cross the pole, gather himself, and then cross the next one. It'd be a whole lot easier if a horse had a couple of strides between poles. Well, Smokey was small, so he was going to have a bit more time to gather between each set. A horse has to really be in time to do this routine smooth. We came to that first pole, Smokey put his head down and gave it a good sniff. After I thought he was comfortable, I nudged him a little and he crossed it like we had done it a thousand times. We came to the second and went through the same process, then the third, and finally the fourth. Even with our stopping and smelling, we finished in the allotted time. Smokey didn't balk at one pole. We didn't go around any either. That was good enough for me. 
Now it was time to go through the gate. We had the advantage on most of them. Since we were small, we were closer to the latch. It's one thing to ride up and undo the latch. Now don't get me wrong, it's a challenge, especially when you've never done it before. Once unlatched, that gate had to be pushed open, then pushed closed, and latched back. Now that's a lot of room for trouble. The metal gate was about 10 feet wide and had five rails. It looked kind of heavy to me. I wondered if I was going to be able to push it open if I did get it unlatched. It wasn't like the gates around our place. Ours were mostly rough-cut fencing. Those old heavy gates were a challenge to open standing on the ground. Well, the gate unlatched easy enough. When I gave it a push, it opened without effort. We rode through, turned, rode up to the gate about a fourth of the way back from the latch. I grabbed hold of the middle rail and held the gate out from me about an arm's length, then asked Old Smokey to move forward. Old Smokey walked down the side of that gate towards the latch post with me sliding my hand down the rail. By the time we got to the barrel bolt on that gate, we were just about even with the latch pole, so I asked Smokey to stop. I had to ease him up a bit more, which proved no problem. Then I latched that gate without incident. I was feeling pretty darn good about then. I patted old Smokey on the shoulder and leaned up over his neck and whispered, You're doing a fine job, boy. One more thing and we're all done. As we turned from the gate, there was a mailbox about middle way down on the other side of the arena. It looked to be about ten feet out from the fence. That meant if a horse wanted to misbehave, he had plenty of room to do it. We galloped around to that mailbox. When we got there, we just rode up to it like we did it every day of the week back home. I opened the door and got the mail and closed the door, and then we took it to the judges at the finish line. I tipped my hat to the judges and the onlookers alike, then made my way out of the arena where Daddy was waiting for us. I was the last rider, so we stood there while the judges put their heads together and calculated each horse and rider's points. It wasn't long before they went to the microphone to announce the top finishers. The judge's voice echoed over the squeals and the loudspeaker so bad you could barely make out what he was saying. They finally turned it down a bit and you could hear it a little better. Russ Lightfoot, nominal, third place, come get your ribbon. Russ rode in and got his ribbon. He didn't act too happy about getting third, though. As he came out of the arena, I said, congratulations, Russ. There was no response or even acknowledgement that I was even there. Second place goes to Evan Jacks, riding chief. Ride in and get your red ribbon. He rolled in and got his ribbon, and as he was coming out of the arena, I said, Congratulations, Evan. Again, there was no response, no acknowledgement. I didn't know why we were still standing there. The best I could have hoped for was third, and Russ already got it. I was ready to go unsaddle and get ready for the rodeo that night. Daddy had a hold of Smokey's halter. He said, We just well go. It's all over and we turned to head for the pickup. The announcer came on the loudspeaker. 
And the first place winner of today's competition is T.G. Journey and Smokey. My head spun around in disbelief of what I just heard. Daddy replied, well, I'll be darned. You did it. Get in there and get your ribbon, boy. I excitedly rode Smokey in a gallop and came to a perfect sliding stop right at the judges. I think I scared them half to death, but they all thought it was funny and got a little chuckle out of it. Well, it was no blue ribbon. Instead, it was a nice wooden trophy with a statue of a horse on it. The nameplate said, Craterville Park, 1963. I was grinning ear to ear, holding that trophy high as I came out of the arena. We started walking out to the pickup with Smokey. For no apparent reason, he dropped his head and went to bucking. He took me plumb by surprise, but I was able to get my knees up under the swells of my saddle. I'd lost his head, so it was going to be a tussle until I rode him out or he threw me. I had the reins in my left hand and I was lifting them up snug, just like the old saddle bronc riders do to keep their butt in the seat. I had my right hand in the air with my trophy in it, just a-waving it. I don't know how long he bucked, but it was long enough. He finally came to a standstill, and Daddy ran up and took hold of his halter. Get off, get off, he yelled. I got off just fast as I could, and Daddy unsaddled him. He rubbed his hand over his back and then his belly real careful-like, searching for something that might have irritated him, but he didn't find anything. Then he did the same to the saddle with the same outcome. Next, he turned his attention to the saddle blanket. He got down there, and he rubbed over it and rubbed over it, and then he came to a stop went to picking at it. Where did this sand burr come from, he asked. He stood there a minute, then busted out laughing and said, good thing he didn't do it in the arena. Regardless, it was a bit of added excitement for all in attendance. Daddy resaddled Smokey, and I remounted. As I was riding towards the pickup, trophy in hand, I saw a fella standing some distance away at the base of the arena grandstand. He was a cowboy, no doubt. He looked the part. He was a raw-boned, withered man who had been out in the weather too much of his life. He looked like he had been through the mill. He had a cigarette trapped between his lips. He was wearing one of those plastic neck braces. He was kind of in a body cast of sorts from his waist up. His left arm was free, but his right one was in a cast being held out from his body with a stick of sorts plastered into that body cast. There was a cast on his left leg and a crutch under his left arm. He was quite a sight. As I got closer, I recognized him under all that plaster. It was Freckles Brown. Freckles was one heck of a bull rider, but it was clear the bull had won that last go-round. I'd gotten his autograph at a buckout between him and Jim's shoulders down at Cash, Oklahoma some time back. Before I could speak, he called out, Heck of a ride, boy! Heck of a ride! Way to slap leather! That cigarette was just a-bouncing up and down with each word. After he said it, he blew out a puff of smoke that just kind of drifted up around his head. I nodded, tipped my hat, and replied, Thank you kindly, sir. I went back to see old Freckles after we had Smokey squared away, but he was nowhere to be found. What a day.
What a day. Well, it sounds like our time's up for this week. So until next week, happy trails. <laughs>